You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Dylan Terriman who is here with us. Uh, Alex will not be. Alex, last week was out funny enough. Uh, well, not funny, but Alex was not feeling well after uh, one of his COVID vaccines last week. And uh, and Dylan is here with us tonight, but feeling a little bit groggy um, after a couple days of uh, not feeling so great after his COVID vaccine. Um, so we'll uh, we'll get this one underway. But Dylan, other than, other than uh, trying to recover from your shot, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm uh, back on the mend, back on the upswing, feeling good, ready to get back in here and talk ball. It's been a while. It's my first show since the draft, so tons of fun stuff for me to talk about, at least touch on. And we have some news unrelated to OTAs and just throwing the ball in T-shirt and shorts. We have some signings, some visits, so it's going to be good to get into this one. Yeah, it's. Uh, I really wish OTAs were more open to the press so we could get more reports out of there. Um, you know, it, it's only, as you said, it's T-shirts and shorts, but it, it's something. You know, I, I want some news because, yep. you know, we, we uh, you go months without any anyone actually getting on the field and doing anything. But it really is limited in what you can see out there um, when it is OTAs. But, you know, the, the good thing is uh looks like everyone's healthy for the most part. Um, I know uh, uh, Corey Davis had the, the shoulder strain, you know, sprains and strains, not a big deal. Um, but again, no news of any injuries. But to be fair, teams aren't required to, dis- to disclose injuries during OTAs. But anyway. Right. And, and they posted on Instagram uh, a few pictures today, and Corey Davis was included in some of them. I don't know if they were old or from today's practice or not. So there's a chance that he was even back out there today. So that's. Yeah, absolutely. You want to get the. You know, hopefully he gets out there and starts building some chemistry with uh, with Zach Wilson. But Definitely. what we're going to talk about today, we got a couple topics to hit. Um, we we may go a little short, um, just because uh, just because we may. There's not there's not a ton to cover, but there is some news to cover. So um, a visit and a signing, and I think we would agree that the visit is bigger news than the signing. Uh, the Jets hosted apparently yeah. last week again, keeping things on the down low. The Jets hosted free agent offensive lineman Morgan Moses, who was released by the Washington football team a few weeks ago, and I kind of tweeted out that I like the idea of bringing him in, uh, you know, high-level, high high-caliber player. But I, I had some doubts, as, you know, as I've said before, and it may be looking too deep into things, but this uh, I get the impression this front office wants lighter, more agile guys. He doesn't fit that description. He's kind of 330, not the most nimble guy. but He's a he's a guy who's he's he's uh he stays healthy he doesn't miss games and he plays at a very high level I believe PFF had him at uh like rated at an eighty or some eighty point six last year so this is a very good player a very good proven player uh, at a position where they can definitely upgrade and and my question to you Dylan because uh, I I kind of bouncing it around in my head 
if the Jets were to sign a guy like Morgan Moses, do you think they're doing it with an eye on pl- plugging him in at guard? Or do you think he gets his right tackle spot and George Fant moves to guard, which we, we'll talk about the guard position, the right guard position in a little bit. But at this point in time, you could say is probably the weakest link on that old line. You move Moses or Fant to that spot, and all of a sudden it's it's looking a lot better. Yeah, I think pick an option C. I'm going to think that if that signing were to happen, I think Moses would plug in at the right tackle spot. I think he he's played over 6,000 snaps there in the last six years for Washington, 1,900 in the last two years. He only had two holding penalties and two false starts last year. So it's not like he's seeing like a downturn in production at the position where it might like be reasonable to move him inside to guard. But at the same time, I don't think Fant should kick inside to guard, even though I think he could do well there. I think with the cap space that he would free up, I think, yes, yeah, $7.35 I think that's a possible cut candidate or trade piece potentially, or he could just go back to his original role in Seattle, which was that sixth offensive lineman when they want to go in and do the jumbo sets and what have you for the run game. So I, I would say if they bring in Moses, more than likely should be gone just due to financial complications and they can, you know, open an avenue to finally sign that cornerback we've been preaching for. So, yeah, I would say option C, uh, start Moses at right tackle and do something else with George Fant, let somebody else play guard. Yeah, I think um, in all honesty, if this was uh, a month or two ago, I'd probably agree with that. I'll try to look it up while we're while we're rambling on here, but I'm pretty sure Fant got a sizable bonus uh, sometime in the last month or so. Um, yeah, so that March he got one. It, was yeah, it, it three like million? A, like I think three or four, three three almost four million dollar bonus that was guaranteed in March. So yeah, yeah so that, that's why I, that I brought up the swing me. tackle thing. Yeah, so. Maybe yeah, maybe it, guard would be if he just beats out everybody else because, I mean, let's face it, right guard is kind of bleak right now. I mean, Van Roten, sure, you could pencil him in, but, you know, we like Cam Clark over here. Um, Alex Lewis, I mean, okay, whatever. Fant is probably an upgrade over all of those guys. So, yeah, I mean, it gives them options to just start the best five. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think Fant would be an upgrade. I think Van Roten and I, and I I wrote about this earlier today. Van Roten, you know, he's not he's not a I'm not putting him in Canton, but I really felt like he played a lot better in the second half last year. I know. Um, yes, for sure. Um, I, I I tweeted at Rich Samini about that because he said something about Van Roten a couple months ago about his 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 grade according to uh, uh what is it Elias or whoever they use. Um, not Elias. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the 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 firm that that tracks the performance uh, that Semini always quotes that ESPN quotes. Um, and I said, you know, what were his numbers first half versus second half? And there wasn't a big difference. Um, I felt like the eyeball test. He looked like a better player to me. And PFF was a different story. PFF had him rated much higher in the second half than in the first half, which I which was kind of consistent with the grade he had while he was at Carolina. So I feel like Van Roten is a solid mm-hmm. player who was off to a very bad start. I wouldn't be shocked if he won that job again. Uh, Connor Hughes said the other day, apparently, in an article that the Jets still don't see Cam Clark as an option to start. Whether or not that's true, we'll find out. But even if Uh-oh. you're going into camp um, with Becton, uh, Vera Tucker, McGovern, and then 
basically a tryout between Fant, Van Roten, Lewis, Clark, and anybody else who will they want to like that. Someone is going to emerge as a quality starter. Um, and then you go with uh, Moses at right tackle. I think this team would be, I mean, good Lord. I mean, that's such, that is such an improved mm-hmm. offensive line. Uh, even if you go back, <clears throat> you know, a year or two, that that's, you know, w- when you're, when you're looking at Kelvin Beecham and, and uh, Spencer Long and Brian Winters and, you know, the guy who's washed up and, and, and Brandon Carpenter. Shell. Yeah. Brandon Shell and Carpenter, who I liked a lot, but he kind of, he had a good year or two with the mm-hmm. Jets and then he just kind of nosedived. So this offensive yep. line w- would would go from arguably bottom three in the NFL to probably at the very worst top ten. Um, so what a dramatic turnaround that would represent. But they did let Moses leave the building. He is apparently meeting with the Bears at this point. So uh, that mm-hmm. that may be something that's already over and done with. But the, a player the Jets did bring in uh, and sign today was defensive lineman Ronald Blair. Uh, now, Blair is a guy who played for Robert Sala in San Francisco. He's battled injuries quite a bit. Uh, you look back, he played 16 games in 2016. Then he missed 10 games the following year, played 16 games in 2018. And then 2019, he missed, uh, he missed seven games, and then he did not play in 2020. So this is a guy who has missed a lot of time. Uh, he's more of a run stopper. He, you know, he has, he's got 13 and a half career sacks in 47 games. He did have, uh, what was it, five and a half sacks back in 2018, 14 QB hits as a part-time player. Not bad. I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of his film because I've been busy today. I literally was, I pulled up three of his sacks. And the three that I found, not that, I don't know that this is the case with all of them, but the three sacks I was able to, you know, pull, pour through and, and, and look at were definitely coverage. Like he was, it was taking him, you know, four or five plus seconds to get to the quarterback mm-hmm. and, and the secondary allowed for it to happen. So it looks like he's a run stuffer, high effort player. Um, like I said, I'm not going to say a ton about him because I've only watched very limited film on him today. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's going on there. Um, and just had a message too from Alex that uh, he might be joining us in a little bit. So uh, hopefully that comes through. He's apparently stuck at work. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, any thoughts on the Blair signing? Have you? I know you're very busy. I don't know if you've had a minute to watch any of them at all. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. And, yeah, and then, um, and then, then we'll go into the just the insane depth on this D line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, my my original thought on the uh, the signing was, hey, you know, we we're going to get a 49ers defensive player somewhere in here. Uh, I didn't really think it'd be Ronald Blair, especially when I just looked at his stats. I haven't really gotten into the film on him either. But, I mean, when you look at the last nine games that he played in, in 2019, he did have seven tackles for loss and three sacks. <clears throat> so the torn ACL did, you know, kind of derail a semi-good season production-wise for him. And then he was supposed to start on the pup last year. I just – all I did was read an article and watch a small video about him today on my way home from work. But the article said he was supposed to start on pup, wasn't healthy enough, so they scratched him at like the week 10 to 12 mark and just said, Hey, we're going to sit you for the year. And then the video was his draft video from 2016. And it was Daniel Jeremiah and Mike Mayock on the podium. And Mayock said he had a third round grade on him, but he went in the fifth round. And then Daniel Jeremiah, who, you know, he's a big app state guy where Ronald Blair went to school, had a story about when he was a true freshman, he got hurt during the game against Stanford 
and they needed him to come back in the game because it was a tight situation, and he was in street clothes in the second half, so he walked into the locker room, got suited back up, and came back out on the field, and he didn't say what the result of the game was, but I mean, just that that alone just kind of screamed Salah all over it, and he was there a year before Salah got there in San Francisco, but it seemed like when he was on the field, he was doing okay in the run game. Not quite sure what he brings as a pass rusher, but I think the Jets are continuing to strengthen a strength. So it should be good. Yeah, that's really that's uh that's a great story. I hadn't heard that one. Um mm-hmm. that's the type of stuff that you love to hear about guys. But he apparently uh didn't test well at the combine, which kind of in terms nope. of his explosion, which doesn't surprise me. Um they the PFR listed him at two seventy. Um, he may have slimmed down, uh, for, you know, the, some of the clips I watched were a couple years old. I mean, not, you know, like sort of 2018, so two and a bit years ago. Um, and he looked like a bigger guy than 270. Um, so they it could posted be he... a picture of him uh, running out to practice today, and uh, he, he looked a little bit slim. So I'd say 270 could be accurate. Yeah, it looks like he was, <clears throat> looks like at, he was 284 at the Combine. So they may have had him slim down since then. Um, yeah. That that could be the case, but but either way, not an explosive guy. Mm-hmm. Very high grade no. from PFF um, against the run. Obviously, uh, obviously a, a guy who's you know highly regarded by Salah. And so we've talked about it before, Dylan. But how crazy is this defensive line? I mean, I think this is going to be a situation where we are going to see at least one, maybe two guys who are really good players who might not make this roster, um, you know, two guys I've watched a little bit of this week, just because you kind of, you know, the, the season is miserable and it sucks, so you hate life while you're watching the games. The offseason rolls on, and I kind of said the other day, let me, let me go back and let me, let me take a look at uh, – let, let me go take a look at some of these D linemen. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to watch a little bit of Nathan Shepard and kind of refresh my memory. I want to watch some more show than Rankins because I didn't watch a ton of him after he was signed. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, these guys, these are good players, man. These are, these. Are, I mean, obviously Rankins is, is, is the higher rated guy. He's not going anywhere. But, you know, Kyle Phillips is another one. Kyle Phillips, he has as many tackles for loss as Cleland Farrell did. They were taken the same year. Farrell was the fourth overall pick. Phillips was yeah. an undrafted free agent. And he has as many tackles for loss in fewer games and far fewer reps. Like, that's a guy who gets in the backfield and makes plays. Foley Fadakasi, another guy. Quinnen Williams. I mean, the list uh, up front, it really is absurd. Now, you know, and now you add Ronald Blair to that. So, and, and then out of nowhere last year, John Franklin Myers. So how many of these guys can you keep? Carl Lawson is really probably going to play the 4-3. He'll be at DN more than anything. You signed Vinnie Curry. I mean, how many guys can you carry to play in that front seven? Right now, according to my, my little chart I have going, it looks like they have 15 designated defensive linemen. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head how many they carried into last year. I want to say seven. It wasn't 15. Maybe, maybe eight. Yeah, it's definitely not 15. <laughs> but then again, I have Rashid Jr. listed as a DN, so maybe that's questionable either way. But still, they're going to have to trim this down a lot. And, I mean – I joked about it in our in our group chat before, like a couple hours ago, and said these six down linemen fronts are going to be scary. 
But, I mean, we just said it on offense. You pick the best five offensive linemen to protect the quarterback. You might as well pick the best six best rushers that you have on the D-line and just say, go get them. We know that corner is a weakness, and teams nowadays on defense, they're choosing let's go the pass rush route or the coverage route. You don't really see a great blend of – you know, you don't see a defense that has a good blend of both. So – the Jets are going all out with this pass rush effort in hopes to cover up for this coverage on the back end. And I mean, you can't complain when you look at it, but if you get into the season and these corners are getting beat over the top, it doesn't matter how quickly Sheldon Rankins and Quinn and Williams, you know, dominate on the interior because the quarterbacks are just going to get the ball out and these corners aren't going to do anything. But I mean, Hey, this defensive line, Definitely the best in the division, possibly the best in the AFC. Haven't really looked at it quite yet, but I might might hang my hat on that because Franklin Myers is scary. I love what Lawson can do. Quinn and Williams is, you know, everybody's favorite. And Sheldon Rankins, like you just said, he's the X factor. I think he's going to be the difference maker in this one. And two guys that you did mention, Fadukasi and Nathan Shepard, we'll see what happens with them because I think they're going to like – what Blair and Curry bring and maybe Zuniga and Phillips beat out one of these guys. So it's going to be a tough battle, but I think no matter what, we're going to see a great defensive line from the Jets. Yeah. And listen, I, I didn't mention Zuniga and, and then we got Jonathan Marshall. I mean, he's a late round pick, but listen, draft yep. picks make teams. GMs rarely cut a guy the year they take them. Um, and I think he's good enough. I don't think you could put him on the practice squad. As I said, listen, he might not amount to anything, but when I watch that guy on film, I watch him play for Arkansas. Oh, I can't figure out how he didn't go earlier. The guy is so quick, and his, yep. you know his measurements back it up. His 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 pro day numbers were off the charts, among the highest graded players in in the past thirty years. The film shows yeah, it. historically the good numbers. It. Yep. Yeah, like legitimately one of the best uh, you know physical specimens in you've ever seen in your life. And like, how many of these guys can you keep? I worry about Zuniga. And Salah had some good words about him, actually, in uh, his press conference. I want to say last week or the week before, he said he's a disruptive knockback defensive lineman that he's just going to let him let him let it rip, and he's going to take his seatbelt off and just let him go. So I think whatever you saw in Arkansas, you're gonna they're going to try to get exactly that out of him at this level. So I think he's a really good pick, and when – when I saw this selection, I was like, all right, defensive lineman, you know, whatever. And then you see him on tape, and then you put the numbers next to the tape, and you're like, oh, okay, number 42 in the middle can really do some damage yeah. here. Exactly. That was my thought exactly. I was, I thought, oh, another D lineman. And then I'm watching him, and I just – but, you know, before I even looked at the workout numbers, and I'm just thinking, Jesus, how is this guy – how is this guy not taken sooner? Like, you talk about someone who can get pressure up the middle on the interior – Right, And then you look at the workout numbers and you say, okay, well, that, that's supported by what you see on tape when you watch him. So that guy's going to – I don't see that guy getting cut. You know what I mean? So like you said, you got, no. you got 14, 15 D linemen. And really, other than like, you know, you, you look at like a Tanzel Smart, like he might be the only guy I look at and go, okay, well, he's not going to make it. You know, some undrafted guy, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Blum four, he's not, you know, he, he's probably right, yeah. at best he's practice squad. But Vinny Curry, I, like I look at Vinny Curry's production, I get that he's a veteran. Like he's a guy I could see, even though they brought him in as a free agent, I could see him not making it. But but anyway, that, that'll that all get hashed out in the future. Beeline has gotten absolutely insane. Um, the number of bodies they have, you know, that they can play up front, quality players. 
really is ridiculous. And I've said this before. They don't have that true edge rusher that everyone talks about. You know, maybe Lawson mm-hmm. becomes that. But I, listen, as long as you get to the quarterback, I don't care if it's from the edge or up the middle or wh- how you do it. If you're doing it without having to have overload blitzes or, you know, compromise your secondary, I'm all for it. And I think with Quinnen Williams, with, with Sheldon Rankins, with Lawson, I think they're going to find ways to get to the quarterback. So, uh, you know, plenty of reason to be excited about what's going on up front. We did cover the O-line, but wanted to touch briefly on Alex Lewis reworking his deal. He takes a little bit less mm-hmm. money, but he'll hit free agency a year earlier. Um, Alex Lewis, I feel like, is a guy who has performed about as well as you could expect. Not a great player, not a terrible player. Probably, you know, fringe starter, quality backup type guy. Didn't have a lot of leverage. Um, he can play a little bit of tackle. I, I know the, when the, I've read that the Ravens worked him a little at center. He's not played in the game. But he's got, he's got some versatility. He's got some experience. He's not a train wreck. So a nice depth guy. But again, you know, how many, how many guys can you carry? You're kind of left asking that same question on the interior. If, uh, especially if you go out and you sign Moses, you know, then someone's got to go. But your thoughts, I, I thought Alex Lewis was a candidate to be cut. Joe Douglas obviously likes him. He traded for him, re-signed him, and then rather than cut him, they reworked his deal. Um, is he a guy you think that uh, the Jets are a little too high on, or would you have moved on from him by now? Well, last year when they put him on the the NFI or whatever that whole thing was with, at practice with Gase, I, I just assumed that at that point Joe Douglas was just protecting Alex Lewis because it was a player that he liked for the future. I, I genuinely thought that. I mean, I don't know exactly how they feel. I would assume that they like him enough to keep him around, but then again, they like him enough to pay him way less money and let him go a year early. So I could totally see a scenario where he doesn't make the cut, but it's very tough. Like, do you give Dan Feeney that job as the backup guard? I'm not quite sure. I would kind of keep Alex Lewis until you really see what Dan Feeney has as like your third guard on the depth chart or like backup center potentially. So, you know, you're going to keep eight linemen, maybe put a couple on the practice squad. And I, I, it's hard to say that, he has a definite spot, but me, I would lean a little bit towards keeping him just because you don't have a ton of experience starting Vera Tucker. Feeney's coming over from a new team. Cam Clark obviously is a question mark. And then you have Corey Levin, another guard, not quite sure what he's going to be. And then Tristan Hoge, he could potentially make the team and that would be a nice surprise. But for right now, I'd have to say you, you got to keep, Alex Lewis, if you're going to pay him a very little bit of money and he's still going to walk next year. Yeah, I think at that price, um, it, like I said, given his versatility, I think that helps him out. And as I said, Douglas traded for him. Douglas re-signed him. Douglas has reworked his deal rather than cutting him now. And as you said, you know, they, uh, this, I'm sorry, uh, the, right the dead cap on him, it goes up from this restructure. So his dead cap was originally $1.66 million. And now his dead cap, even though his cap comes down almost $3 million, his dead cap rises $3 million to 4.66. So you're saving money, but you're also losing money if you cut him, which is another red flag in my opinion. So to me, yeah, I, I would just say keep him. Yeah, that, I mean, that could be the Jets really without actually committing. That could be them committing to bringing him back. Um, and as I mm-hmm. said, he has played some tackle. 
Uh, he's played both guard spots. And, you know, they do need, uh, as we've discussed previously, as we've discussed earlier this offseason, uh, they do need some insurance at tackle because of Makai Becton's history. Um, you know, oh, yeah. he missed, missed par- all or parts of eight games last year. And um, with, uh, with I would imagine if, if you know, it, obviously we hope there's no more missed time for, for Becton this year. If he were to go down, maybe Vera Tucker slides out to left tackle, honestly, after the way he played there last year. Might be better suited, and then Lewis plugs in at left guard, wherever it may be. But, again, maybe they're going to give Lewis every chance to win that right guard spot. And, he, you know, you could do worse, but you could also do better. So we'll, uh, that, that's something that will be worth keeping an eye on, see how that unfolds. And, uh, and move on to, you know, we, we talk every year about, you know, when, when guys get drafted, I mean, it, it really, as far as I'm concerned, Dylan, it has gotten absurd to see how quickly fans will call a guy a bust. I mean, I'm talking first quarter of his first pro game, guy makes a mistake and everyone says he's a bust. It really is insane. The, the, the normal standard that, at least from my experience, that, that, a, that the sane fans use um, is that sort of year three. How did a guy perform in year three? If he's not at or at least very near his potential or his, you know, meeting his expectations by year three, that's when you earn the bust label. Now, some guys, listen, mm-hmm. you know, you get a guy like Jalen Saunders and you cut him by week two, that's, he's a bust. But I'm talking right. about guys who are on the roster, getting in games, um, and still developing. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't throw the bust label on every guy who's not a superstar by week two. But that leaves us basically looking at which, which players on the Jets roster, which rookies are about to enter year three, and how do we feel about them? So a quick glance at the 2019 draft class, Dylan gives us, of course, Quinnen Williams, who the Jets took with three overall, Ja'Kai Polite, who went 68 overall, uh, Chuma Adoga, 92nd in the third round, Trevon Wesco went in round four, pick 121, Blake Cashman picked 157 in round five. And then Rutgers cornerback, bless Austin, at 196. This was Mike McCagnon's final draft class with the Jets. Entering year three, Dylan, uh, what are your thoughts on this class? And who do you think, uh, uh, obviously outside of Ja'Kai Polite, um, who do you see as being most on the, like of those guys, which guy is most likely to go next? Or do you think they all hang around? So this might be surprising to a degree, but maybe not considering he was the final selection of that draft. But I think Bless Austin is probably going to be the next one to go if I had to put my money on it, um, which is surprising because everybody would say, why not Blake Cashman? He's played, you know, what, 11 games for the Jets and done absolutely nothing except pull hamstrings. And I understand that, but I think for what they want to do and the speed that he does possess at the linebacker position, it transitions well to what they want to do. So I'm going to say Bless Austin loses a job to one of these day three uh, corners that they drafted this year, whether it's Josh Pinnock, Brandon Eccles, uh, Michael Carter's probably going to be a slot guy, but most likely one of those two guys or Lamar Jackson could sneak in there potentially. Um, So Bless Austin would be the guy. Blake Cashman, I have – you know, no real expectations for, but Hey, if he gives me 
if he's the 31st best starting linebacker in the NFL by any ranking, you know, whatever, I'll take it. Just be on the field, be a body. Hopefully you're good in coverage. Trevon Wesco, I mean, I think they're going to put him full-time fullback. I'm doing a little bit of an article right now comparing the San Francisco 49ers, Green Bay Packers, and Jets skill players all collectively right now. And Trevon Wesco seems like he's going to have a pretty big role in the run game for us upcoming. So I like what he can bring to the table. Um, Idoga, I mean, if he's a swing tackle for fine, he only played in 19 games, it says here. So, I mean, you know, average, not really great. He's not entirely, you know, enthusiastic when he's in the, on the, on the field, you're just like, all right, whatever. It's Idoga. I'm kind of nervous about this right side. They played him at left side when Mekhi Beckton went down a couple times and really had me questioning why they wouldn't just kick Fant over to left. Um, obviously, Ja'Kai Polite's gone. And then Quinton Williams, I mean, what else is there to say? It's Quinton Williams. He's the best player on the team. He's the scariest player on the defense. I mean, there's nothing that this guy is, can't, is not going to be able to do on game day. I think every year he's gotten better that he's played. Um, it's just the sky's the limit. Salah's going to unlock this kid. And really, if he's not a, a pro bowler or an all pro at the end of this season, I would genuinely be shocked about Quentin Williams. That's how highly I think of him in this defense. So McCagnan got us some pieces we can work with, but at the end of the day, it seems like a bunch of middle to below average backups. Yeah, I think uh, with Quentin Williams, He's a guy who could have easily had 10 sacks last year. He's got to stay healthy, though. He tends to, he's, you know, he's missed a few games each of his first couple seasons. But I'm, I'm right there with you. I think in this defense, especially as we were just saying, as stacked as this D line is, as well as John Franklin Myers play last year, um, adding Lawson to that, adding Rankins to that, these guys are going to be fresh. They're going to be competitive. I expect absolutely, you know, Pro Bowl production from Quinn and Williams, Jakai Polite. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know that I loved that pick. I mocked him to the Jets. I thought he was going to be an absolute steal. As far as I'm concerned, there was nothing on film uh, from his time in college that would suggest he was going to be a slacker when he got to the pros. Uh, that's what, Those are the rumors that started to leak out. He was late to meetings or not showing up to meetings, whatever it was. A guy with mm-hmm. that much talent, a guy who plays at Florida, SEC, is one of the top sack artists in the country, leads the country and tackles 20 yards downfield for D linemen. Like this guy, the effort, the motor, the production, it was all there. That pick is, was justified as far as I'm concerned. It, and, then, and then what happens? And, and this is what we've talked about a few times now, Dylan, the unpredictability of what's going to – sometimes these guys get a check. Yep. And instead of saying, if I keep putting out the same effort, I could have $100 million one day. They're happy to say, you know what? I got $2 million. I'm good. Um, I'm, I've arrived. There's more money than I'll ever need. Right. I'm good. And the effort goes away. So it, it sounds like that's what happened with Ja'Kai Polite. Caught him with the Rams for, for a little bit. Had a sack or two with a couple QB hits, but they ended up cutting him as well. Adoga's a guy that I, I think, if, if I got to pick a guy who's gone next, the only reason I'm not saying bless Austin Dillon is because they're so thin at that position. 
They oh, did. Yeah, all, yeah. Bless Austin has been a disappointment to me. Even though he's a sixth rounder, we heard about, you know, that was because due to injuries, he had a second round grade, yeah. whatever it was. Um, he's been the biggest disappointment on the list, but they're so thin there. I don't think they can afford to. I think uh, I think the next cut will be either Idoga or Cashman. Cashman due to injuries mm-hmm. or Idoga due to effort. He's another one that, you know, there were reports on him coming out of college that he had, you know, sort of some elite traits, great feet, could probably move to left tackle. Um, but there were also, you know, sort of uh, scouts were kind of torn on his effort and his, his commitment to the game. If that's Multiple still an issue with him. have him on their board. Yep. Right. Exactly. And if that is still an issue, I do not see that being something that Robert Sala is going to put up with. So that's why I would say Edoga or Cashman will be the next to go. The class as a whole, um, even let's, you know, let's say hypothetically, um, Edoga hangs around as a swing guy. It's still, I still, I just, Cashman has been too hurt for me to believe he's ever going to not be hurt. He was hurt in college. And now that's carried over two years in a row in the pros. So there's no evidence to suggest Blake Cashman will ever stay healthy. So that could end up being a wasted pick. Austin, depth guy at best. Wesco, um, and I did an article a week or two ago saying, you know, he should get that first crack at that fullback job. There are games, uh, one of them being San Francisco a couple years ago against Baltimore. Um, he's had some really good moments as a blocking fullback, and that's with limited reps and not a ton of experience at that spot. So I think Wesco becomes a starting fullback in this offense. Adoga, sort of a swing guy, and Quinn and Williams, a future all-pro as far as I'm concerned. So certainly not uh, not a class you know, you're going to write home about, but compared to other Mike McCagnin classes, this could turn out to be the least disastrous of all of them. Right. Um, really, if you go to the 18 class, if, uh, if Shepard hangs around, they got uh, Shepard Herndon and Fadakasi out of that group. Um, and Fadakasi might be, might be McCagnin's best bang-for-buck pick. Um, as a sixth rounder who has been absolutely dominant that I would time. Say so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I have I think a question about I, Quentin Williams for you, actually. When sure. uh, you, you were talking about obviously him staying healthy and that being, you know, his his main negative so far. And you know, we we I think you and I both last year were saying why doesn't he play more snaps per game? Because he's been locked into that fifty-five to sixty-five range. And it looks like he played about 64% of the games that he did play. His highest was 82% against the Raiders. Do you think that it'd be wise for Salah to keep him in that 55 to 65 range and just say, hey, let's just make these 55 to 65% more you know, beneficial snaps for him instead of saying, hey, let's just send him out there to make anything happen? Do you think that that – is the range he stays in or they should bump it up a little bit because then obviously you're just risking potential injury by, you know, overuse or whatever, you know, just war of attrition. So do you think that's a good range for him or do you think it should be higher than 65%? I think that given the fact that he's, um, or given the fact that they've added so much talent to this D line, if they feel like they can still be productive and not, not overwork Williams Part of me gets that, but at the same time, you're the third overall pick, and you're the best player on right. the team. Like, I know he's not Aaron Donald, but Aaron Donald plays 90% of the snaps. He doesn't, he doesn't come yeah. off the field. Um, Quinn and Williams needs to not be playing 55%. Um, he's he's got to be in that 75%. Uh, I mean, because what, what 
if he's going to play that, that you know, uh, 55% of the snaps, what happens, you know, come contract time? You know, you're going to pay a guy, you know, he's going to want top three or top two money. You're going to pay that to a guy who plays half the snaps. Um, right. I, I just, I don't see that happening, but at the same time, as we just said, given the depth, if they can be productive and they feel like, you know what, we're going to keep him fresh, go with quality over quantity, I, I really can't see not playing him at least 70%. Um, and like I said, when I look at Aaron Donald and see that he's playing 90%, 50%, 55%, yeah, just, 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 yeah, just it really isn't cutting it. So you've got to get him on the field. Get him. I mean, you know, it, it's not as if there doesn't look to be a conditioning issue. Um, he, you know, he got himself nope. in better shape from year one to year two. Um, the better. injuries, yeah, and the injuries are, you know, sort of, you know, high ankle sprain, uh, you know, sort of nagging little, you know, he's missed three games, which, you know, it's not like he's the missing seven, eight, nine games that. a year. Yeah, right. but I, I, I say get for, for his, you know, get him out there to play as many snaps as he can. Um, that's what I would do. Um, but if, you know, yep. you, you, he's your best player, you want your best players on the field as often as possible. And that, you know, that's another thing about him is, um, and I tweeted this out the other day, I was watching some, uh, like I said, I was watching some D line. He had some reps last year, Dylan, where he just, I mean, you know, engaged with the blocker eyes in the backfield. And when the running back got near him, just tossing guys aside and bringing running backs down, you know, at behind the line of scrimmage, and, you mm-hmm. know, and just making it look easy. I'm like, he, I'm like, he just threw, you know, a 300 pound man and ragdolled him and then wrapped up the running back. And, he, he, you know, we, we get so obsessed with the sacks and the QB stuff, you know, the hits and the hurries. The but disruption. against the run, yeah, he's a monster against the run, too. Um, mm-hmm. And I saw, a headli- I saw a headline earlier this week. I didn't, re- I didn't even read the article, but just from the headline, I, I got what it was saying. And it was somebody who was, who was doing an interview talking about the importance um, of a tackle for loss. And really, when you think about it, why is that any different than a sack? If you sack the quarterback and he loses three yards, right. everyone loses their mind. You tackle the running back in the backfield, he loses three yards, everyone goes, all right, good job. Like, you did the same thing. You, you yeah, moved the offense back. And, second and 13. Ex- exactly, exactly. So yeah. when you get guys like I JFM, like, like Phillips, as I was saying earlier, all the TFLs he gets, as much time as Quinton Williams spends in the backfield, like, these guys, these guys have a chance to be, you know, something special. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. I mean, I know we all are. Um <clears throat> And uh, it's listen. We're you know the season is a uh, hundred days away, right? I saw that tweet today. One hundred days before That's the NFL right. season yep. kicks off, uh, uh, Dallas and Tampa Bay. Um, but before we sign off, uh, Dylan, I this is a non-Jets question, but it's a football question. It was a thought. I've had this thought for many years. Um, every now and then, you know, when I think about how the NFL. Uh, you know, how baseball and basketball, how they guarantee so much money and the NFL doesn't. The NFL is coming around where superstars now are getting guaranteed money. But mm-hmm. in terms of if, if this is something the players ever want to push for to, to get some of their salary or more of their salary guaranteed, I think, and t- tell me if you think I'm crazy here, I think the, the they're going to have to come to an agreement where teams get some cap relief if a guy gets a season or career ending injury, like you can't have a guy count for 15 million against your cap. He gets knocked out for the year and you've got no money to sign anyone. If you want that money to be guaranteed. Um, if, if teams are going to be strapped or, you know, stuck to that number and it's basically becomes 15 million in dead money. I don't think teams are ever going to guarantee more money 
to players. Am I out of my mind thinking that? Or like, I'm trying to think of, because I think we're heading that way. I think players are going to get more guaranteed money as we move forward, but teams are going to start kicking themselves in the ass when they give a guy a ton of money and he gets knocked out for the year and it's guaranteed money. And now they've got no cap relief to go out and sign somebody. Yeah. I think as far as the guaranteed money, it's most likely not going to stop coming in for the players. I think there should be a little bit of give and take as far as, you know, the team shouldn't be not, not just saying they shouldn't be on the hook completely, but they shouldn't be screwed for a cap casualty because a player got hurt in August. I, I think there should be some kind of give and take. I think they've tried to find a nice middle ground with these shorter, shorter two to three year contracts with that last dummy year. You know, you get a lot of the guaranteed money in the front and maybe that second year, and then there's none in the third year so that they can cut you if they really want. So, I mean, it makes it tough both ways. Uh, I'm so glad that I don't have to sit in on that discussion because I want, obviously I want all the players to get the money that's due to them. But at the same time, it's not fun when you have to dig yourself out of cap hell every year just to look good on paper. And you don't even know what the final product's going to be due to injuries or what have you down the road. So, I mean, I think they're going to try to keep coming to more agreements, but no, I don't think the fully guaranteed money is going to stop. And as far as the other leagues are concerned, I mean, MLB has no cap, so they can just sign blank checks and, you know, you can fall off your horse the next day and, you know, it doesn't really matter. And then yeah. NBA, that's just a whole nother ball game that just got ridiculous a couple of years back and it doesn't look like that's slowing down with all these super max contracts that players can sign in the 200 million. So NFL has got a long way to go as far as, you know, finding that middle ground, but it's coming together. The CBA is doing the best it can. I would say from a financial perspective, obviously there's other things that need to go on, but I think for, for the players, go get your money. And if you get hurt, you know, that's where the gray area comes in, unfortunately. All right. Well, before we sign off, uh, Dylan, I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Miles Social. If you are the owner of a business and you are looking to improve your your online presence on a variety of platforms, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it may be, Miles Social is there to help you with any and all business needs, business needs on your social media platforms. So if you're looking to improve that presence, go check out MilesSocial.com. That's milesocial.com, M-I-L-E social.com. Give them a look. Uh, before we go, Dylan, um, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, it, what, as you said at the top, you haven't been on in a while. Let, let's have your overall thoughts. Uh, give you a few minutes here. Your overall thoughts on this draft class. Um, you know, it's been broken down a million times by a million people by this point, but I still want to get, I haven't heard your thoughts from top to bottom uh, on this class. Yeah, sure. The uh, the cut and dry version, because obviously, you know, we're at a month out. But, I mean, on offense, hello, I'm probably the happiest I've ever seen as far as my my process of watching players in the, you know, the late, I guess, after Halloween uh, to Christmas time for the Jets. You know, before Zach Wilson popped on the scene, you know, you're watching the, the top guys and, you saw Elijah Moore and Michael Carter blowing it up on the field. 
and you're like, wow, like these guys could make a difference for the Jets. And then you get into the process and you think, okay, <clears throat> there's no way the Jets are going to get these types of players on their offense. You know, it's just not what the Jets have done historically. And then they go out and they go and get all the players that you love. You, you know, they get your favorite offensive lineman and Vera Tucker and, you know, the trade up. Who cares? I'm happy about it. The two third round picks can take a hike. We have 20 more of them. Elijah Moore, my literally favorite wide receiver, so I can't wait. I might actually buy his jersey, which goes against everything I stand for. Michael Carter, another great player, perfect scheme fit for the offense. I think he's going to be RB1 by the end of the year. And then you flip over to the defensive side. You have some players that are switching positions. You know, Jamie and Sherwood and Hampton Astral-Dean are going to potentially play linebacker. I like Hampton a lot. I think – if he wasn't hurt and didn't tear his ACL, he probably would have been a day two pick. And then Michael Carter, the slot only guy, he's going to be a great special teamer. I mean, he, they showed the bad highlights against, you know, the offensive Michael Carter where he gets blown up at the, at the goal line. And like, that's not what he brings. He brings speed. He's probably going to start unless they really like Gidry. I really can see Michael Carter starting in the slot. Yeah. Um, who else? We've got Pinnock, the guy from Pittsburgh. I haven't seen, you know, tons of him, but I actually like what he brings for the cover three when he puts his back to the, to the sideline and just, you know, can observe. <clears throat> I think he has really good ball skills. You know, four-year player with six passes defense, six interceptions, or 19 passes defense, six interceptions. We'll see if he can, you know, potentially start, like I said, over Bless Austin. And then Eccles and Marshall rounded out in the sixth round. Eccles, I'm not quite sure. I think there's a, you know, obviously a realistic path for him to make the 53, for him to compete. I don't know if he's going to be the slot or the outside, most likely the outside guy. And he's a really good athlete, just like Jonathan Marshall, who we talked about earlier. And then, you know, he's going to make the team. I think all 10 of these players will make the team, which sounds weird coming from a, like a Jets perspective, but this is, this is a home run as far as I'm concerned. And if you weren't excited before the draft, you should be excited now. Yeah, listen, I, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, would I have done one or two things differently? Probably, um, but all in all, all in all, happy with the happy with the class. Um, and, you know, and, and I like the approach of taking these guys. You know, these physical safeties, these big guys who can cover better than your average linebacker, yep. who cover a lot of ground. Nasruddin, to me, one of the more exciting guys in the class. I think uh, I think you, me, and and uh, Alex are all on the same page with him in terms of him being a guy who can, you know, become a starter in in pretty short order. You could see him starting day one, really. Um, Marshall is is, is a, I don't know, like I said, I I watched a ton of him. I, I just couldn't stop watching. I I was looking for a game where he didn't look fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I, Jamie and Sherwood's the only one that worries me a little, and I only say that because. I get that it'll, it looks like he'll primarily be a cover guy. Not quite as physical as I would have expected for a guy who's going to be converted to linebacker in a Robert Sala defense. Yeah, and a little but, slow too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I did, there were just too many – I saw too many instances where he looked like he didn't really want to be the first guy there. Um, if it was a running back with a head of steam, he was happy to kind of go in gingerly and let other people get in there and, you know, and, and get the stop. Um, and it could, I could mm-hmm. be wrong. It could be, could be that I was, you know, may have been the camera angle, but I'm sure I saw a couple plays where he, he just, I just, you know, as I said, after the pick, um, if you're going to tell me a guy's playing linebacker for Robert Sala, I expect hair on fire, 
you know, uh, just going into every play like a wrecking ball. Um, and that's not at all what we saw from Sherwood. But um, mm-hmm. a, a lot, you know, the consensus seems to be that it was a good pick, a sound pick, not just from Jets fans, of course. Um, so we'll see how that works out. But uh, glad we could finally get on together, Dylan. It's been a crazy few weeks between some of mm-hmm. us have been sick, some of us have been working, some of us have been working sick. Um, I've had to take get to work on days I didn't expect to, and Alex was sick, and you were working, and it's crazy. It's I love having three of us, but it really has at times proven to be difficult to get all three of us on at the same time. Uh, sorry oh, yeah. Alex wasn't with us this week. Hopefully next week we'll get that sorted out. And hopefully we're talking about uh, Morgan Moses and how he's going to fit in uh, on this offensive line. But that'll wrap things up for us tonight, Jets fans. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Dylan, have a good one, bud. All right. Take care, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at JetNationRadio. Glenn is at AceFan23. And Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.